auriferous foam flowers. I went alliterative today and this is a little greener. Wait, um, <laughs> say that again. Floriferous? Floriferous. Did I make up a word? Well done. I don't know. Floriferous. I just really like it. Floriferous. I might've made up a word. Hi, I'm Casey. I'm one of your hosts of this podcast. And it's um, our podcast so we can make up words we if we to want do to. do whatever we want. Nope. I am correct. It means producing many flowers. So it makes sense. It's yes. And, um, and foam flowers are a native flower to Pennsylvania. Anyway, this is a little greener podcast, all about nature, sustainability and conservation. And now defining words. <laughs> We have committed ourselves to adjectives and I wanted to go out there a little bit. So my English major brain just dug that one out of the reserves, I guess. But uh, I'm joined by my wonderful podcast host, Sarah. Obviously, if you don't know what's happening right now, go listen to other episodes. (laughs) We're better at explaining ourselves there. But hey, Sarah, how's it going? Hey, uh, it's going great. We're like a minute in and I've already learned a new word. So that's good. Uh, My dog is playing with toys right now. So you may hear from Murray in this episode. Uh, a little bit too, but yeah, I'm doing very well. I'm a little bit tired. I'm working a little bit of a longer week this week because my last week got just shifted around a little bit. So my brain really feels like I shouldn't have to go to work tomorrow, Mm. but I do. And I'm really sad about that, but it's close one day left. And then my weekend is here. So Funnily enough, my weekend also changed this week. So I'm going, I feel like I shouldn't go into work tomorrow and day six. Here we go. <laughs> Dang. Uh, yes. But, but we're here. We're, we're here. here. And it's Earth Month. Yes. I realized we didn't talk about that. We should mm-hmm. probably acknowledge because we were all about our one year of a little greener. We debuted on April 1st in part purposeful because of Earth Month. So here we are celebrating Earth Month yet again. I don't really have a special thing that I'm doing for Earth Month or Earth Day this year. I'll have to work on that. Yeah. Well, let's make that part of our circling back for next week. And we'll ask you guys on social media, what you're doing for Earth Month, just something, think about it, whether it's one of the challenges we've given you before or something different, let us know. Give us some ideas. Uh, And we also want to talk about our challenge. Again, if you're new to the pod, we do weekly challenges. You don't have to listen in order. So whenever you're listening to us, if you complete a challenge, you can feel free to share with us. But we do go week by week. So we like to hold ourselves accountable and talk about the challenges and the things that we've done to participate in our own challenges. And last week we talked about dairy and alternatives to dairy And we challenged ourselves and all of you listening to try some alternative dairy. And Casey, we've we've seen yours. If you haven't, you can check out our Instagram to see Casey complete her challenge. But do you want to tell us a little bit about what you did? Yeah. So last week I talked about doing non-dairy creamer for our coffee at work. Um, we just didn't visit the grocery store this week for like actual groceries. And we actually went to go to see a movie for the first time in a while. And while we were out in that direction, the strip mall we were in had a Trader Joe's, which I've actually never been to a Trader Joe's before. So if you're yeah. Some of our comments on the Instagram video was like, Oh, I wish there was a Trader Joe's near me. I just was looking for non-dairy coffee creamer. And instead of finding that I found non-dairy chocolate oat beverage, which if you've never been to Trader Joe's, like I had never been to Trader Joe's, we were looking for like little snacks. And instead of M&Ms, they have like candy coated bite-sized chocolate candy. (laughs) 
it's it's like generic beyond generic names for things so definitely no copyright infringement but i i thought it was hilarious that it was called non-dairy chocolate oat beverage they weren't even pretending it's milk um two it wasn't in the refrigerated section which i think is interesting because like dairy needs to be refrigerated but some of these alternative quote unquote milks don't but we put them in the dairy section i feel like just uh so people know where they are and you're like, for me, it really feels better for my brain. Like it makes me more likely to drink it if I can like, it, yeah. equate it <laughs> can to what I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, and I definitely refrigerated it before I drank it because I thought it, it would better. probably be better that way because it's supposed to be a, basically a chocolate milk alternative. And so, yeah, we refrigerated it. I had Andrew and I try it for the first time. And honestly, I thought it was delightful. It one of the things I didn't think that the almond milk that I had tried before had was like that full body thickness of milk mm -hmm. that you missed. I felt like they, they nailed it. It was good. It was a great alternative. And I actually gave it to my dad too, who like generally when we make vegetarian meals, he, he's like, Oh yeah, I want to eat more plant-based. But then anytime I feed him vegetarian, he's like, I think I need something heartier. Than this. <laughs> yeah. So, but he, he really liked it. So, um, thumbs up all around for non-dairy chocolate oat beverage. Um, and I don't think it needs to be that brand, <laughs> but, but, uh, but I would do it again. And like, as someone who's trying to eat less ice cream, even though I love it very much, really what I need is my chocolate fix. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that hits the button and it had like 11% of my daily fiber in a serving. And I don't think milk does that. So, um, I'm always needing more fiber because I don't eat enough veggies. So that is one, one way to do it. That's the nutritional benefit of oat milk over some of the others. So that's how my, I feel accomplished. Yeah. I feel like I've, I don't know. No, it's success. Yes. That successful. A, that's a successful challenge. I love it. And I do have to, I mean, I, I feel that way about this podcast in general. I was thinking about that as work, as I was working on this week's episode too, but it does just, yeah. Like you feel accomplished. And I just like, I feel like I'm continuously learning new things and it is fun. Like it's, I have known about alternatives to dairy for a long time. I've thought about doing it for a long time and I've just never had that little spark to say, okay, I'm going to do it. And so these, this podcast and these challenges have helped to give me that little spark to just push me over the edge and say, well, now, now is the time. Why not do it now? And it's really fun. So I agree with you. I uh, posted a photo of my items that I've tried over the past week and I tried soy milk. It is actually called soy milk on okay. the carton. And I tried ice cream made with almond milk. And I got, I am really curious about this. Yeah. So here's the thing, the ice cream, okay. I, it was, it, I will finish the carton, but I will finish the carton because it's there. I will not ever desire <laughs> that ice cream. It was fine. It, it wasn't unedible. It just, it had the texture wasn't the same. It has a kind of weird aftertaste. It's just not quite as sweet as you want it to be, that sort of thing. So there's nothing wrong with it. And maybe if I ate that all the time, or maybe if I'd never had dairy ice cream, and I tried that for the first time, I would be, I would be satisfied with it. But yeah, it, it doesn't satisfy you the way that regular uh, ice cream would, but it was not unedible by any stretch. And I might try, so I got a cookies and cream flavor. I, at some point might try it again in a chocolate flavor instead I feel of like vanilla. Cookies. Yeah. Cookies and cream feels like it relies a lot on the like, right. 
the consistency yeah. of ice cream and like the feel of ice cream. It reminds me of when I ate, um, we got a free pint of halo top ice cream. Yeah. Um, and I got it in chocolate cause that's my jam. I found it inedible. <laughs> oh, no. Andrew and I did not care for it. My sister loves it. So, so I think like all this to say is that there's certain lines that everybody personally has that can move depending on like right. very little like variables like flavor or like I'm cool with this milk, but maybe not the ice cream version. And uh, so yeah, yeah. I and I I loved hearing other people's experiences. My friend Jen has a a dairy intolerance, so mm-hmm. she said that she's been trying like a coconut based yogurt that she likes, but is having trouble with cheeses. My friend Sean is a vegetarian and he's like, oh, this was really good foray into looking at other aspects of my life that I can be non, non, uh, yeah. animal related. That's awesome. Cheese is a tough one. I, cause I did look at that too. When I was shopping for my other things, I tried to see if there was some, because I think I said last week, I have been trying to eat uh, more like real cheese since I gave up my craft single. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but I, uh, yeah, I couldn't find a lot of cheese alternative. So perhaps more to come on that. But the other half of my challenge you're doing the it now? soy milk. Well, I've done it already. Oh, okay. But this is, I'm just showing you there is proof. Here's me sitting just with a plain glass of unsweetened soy milk. And I will drink this straight. Like it's totally drinkable. It's not dairy milk. I did, I had a glass of dairy milk earlier to kind of compare and contrast. That is still like top tier to me, but this, I like it. It, it has a little bit of almost a nutty aftertaste to me, which I, I don't know, but it's, yeah, it's, it's good and it's refreshing and I've had it in, I tried it in cereal. I tried it with some cookies and I've just drunk it straight. And, um, the only thing that is keeping me from saying right now that I could absolutely swap out my dairy is that apparently you can't heat soy milk like you oh. could heat, like you have, to, you can heat it, For but I was chocolate. reading, yes, because that's what I drink every morning. So they were saying you, but if you're going to heat it in the microwave, you have to heat it like on medium power and just only like 15 seconds at a time. And then you have to stir it to make sure that it doesn't get too hot, too fast. and It'll start to solidify, I guess, which is not appealing. And I didn't really want to know that, but so I, over my weekend, now now I know over my weekend, I'm going to try it and see how it really works, heating it up practically. But that is, that's really the only thing. If it weren't for that, I would say that I would just make this a regular swap. I'm proud of us. We we both haven't completed a challenge <laughs> in a while because like often one of us assigns the challenge that we already have completed, <laughs> com- like completed. So it's kind of cheating. So man, that just was very satisfying. Yes, we did it. <laughs> and so many of you guys did too, or, or gave us your, your input and told us what you liked and didn't like. So I have other things out there that I'm going to be exploring thanks to your suggestions. And if you complete this challenge this week, still let us know. We want to know. Yeah. We always want to know what you're doing. Uh, I have a couple of other random things real quick before we get into our discussion. You had challenged us to visit a local garden center. I still haven't done that. I still can't find one (laughs) that is like with honestly within a 45 minute drive. I'm just on the wrong side of town for all of these. Like everything near me is Lowe's, Walmart, you know, whatever is, is all that pops up. There are some local ones that I found, but they are all just on the opposite side of town from me. There is one nearby that is an, that I found that is an, an edible 
plant nursery garden center or whatever. Okay. So I think I'm going to try that one out. It's not as fun to me. Like I would rather go you like the wildlife to look at yeah. the flower. Well, I just, I mean, if I'm going to just go walk around, it's just pretty also, but I am interested to go and see. And if there's anybody around to talk to, if they have anything to recommend as just like a starter, <laughs> something for me to try my hand at growing. So we'll see how that goes, but I'm working on it. So that is a, a challenge in progress for me. Um, we've also recently done an episode on, well, I guess on that same episode, we talked about the plants around our house and you recall, I had that tree that I thought was invasive, but was struggling to identify shout out to my friend, Kim, who hooked me up with a horticulturalist and I sent some pictures and we did identify it as this golden rain tree. So now I get to decide what to do about that. Um, which is probably nothing in the short term because it costs Life money. Expensive, to do yes. things. Yeah. But ask and you shall receive. Uh, thanks, Kim, for helping me out with that. And then I just wanted to mention some fun wildlife sightings way back. I don't even remember what this was, Casey, but you had talked about you challenged us to go outside and listen and watch for birds and then kind of compare at other times of the year to see what you're seeing. And I have recently spotted one of my favorite birds to see around here in Central Florida. They just recently came back, I guess, the swallow-tailed kite. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Once again, it's not because I know a whole lot about these birds. I just really like them because they're very striking. Yeah, Yeah. they're very pretty and they're very easy to identify. (laughs) So I always get really excited when I see them flying overhead and they are back now. I've just started seeing them over the past couple of weeks. So that's been really fun. That's awesome. I'm trying to think of anything. The other night, Ginger woke me up at uh, like... 4 a.m. because she needed to use the bathroom. So I went outside and I was struck by how quiet it was because we're in this in-between period where the birds are asleep, but the insects aren't awake yet. So it was just like so strikingly quiet, but Mm. also so tranquil because you don't hear a lot of that anthropogenic uh, noises out there. And so, and I looked up and saw the stars and they were looking pretty good at 4 a.m. So I don't know. I I guess this is an advocation for going outside. (laughs) Getting up really early. Yes. (laughs) Going going out in the night. I mean, like, um, I don't know. Maybe that'll be an upcoming podcast. It's just like Hmm. like special things happen at night in nature that don't happen. uh, At night or in the like pre-dawn hours. Pre-dawn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. My dog. My dog is throwing this (laughs) stuffed giraffe around. Let him play. (laughs) All right. So uh, with all of that, so, so many things, so many things going on, so many fun things from past episodes. Let's get on to this week's episode. We're going to be talking a little bit about energy and I'm going to talk a little bit about the sort of timeline of energy use. So my question for you today, Casey, has to do with time. 
We may or may not have discussed this on the podcast before, but hey, we're going to do it again if we have. So if you could travel back in time, Casey, what is the time period that you would choose to visit? I should have done more research. So I had like a very specific year because that would be a more fun answer. But here, here are my conditions that I want okay. met. Okay. I don't want to go back when there is an active plague happening. Number one, because <laughs> I was like, "Ooh, far back," and then I was like, mm, "I'm not about to hit yeah. that yellow fever, yeah. black plague <laughs> nonsense." Bye bye. So I want to go back. Probably, if if I'm in the same spot, I'm gonna go with this. I'm standing where I am right now, but I'm zooming back in time. Ooh, I would like to go back before the European settlers came over for several reasons. One, I am really like interested in how communities interacted with like the literal land underneath my feet. Mm -hmm. Like I live in a beautiful little forest patch. Like how did people back then use this particular space for like living? Number two, lots of wildlife. I'm sure that don't exist in our area anymore. But number three, and most importantly, requirement for any of my time travel business, um, although Andrew and I agree we were born in the right time, I have no desire to be in a different time. But like, I, I want to see stars before light pollution, please. That's excellent. That's my one requirement, basically, of everything. I don't really want to go back to the dinosaurs. That sounds scary. But like, nope. prior to um, relating to this topic today, the widespread use of electricity and the dilution of all of our beautiful, amazing nighttime skies. So that's, that's what I would like to do. That's a fantastic answer. That is so much better than any answer that I would have given. You're a solid choice. Excellent reasoning. <laughs> you got to put conditions on it. Otherwise it gets like out of hand. Right. So, that is yeah. way, way better prepared for that <laughs> than I am. And I came up with the question, but I hate this question. You get this, you know, this is a question that gets tossed around every once in a while. I've always hated it. I've never had a good answer to this question because I agree with you and Andrew. I'm pretty fine living in the time that I'm living in. I feel very fortunate for all the modern conveniences that we have, including our many different sources of power uh, and the things that they give us. So there is that. I've always more just sort of felt sentimentally about it, that if I were going to travel back in time, I kind of, I don't know, I kind of just want to go back and see like what life was like for my grandparents growing up or earlier in their lives, you know, so, but that would like put me like in the 40, I don't really want to be around for a world <laughs> war, um, please. So, but, but that's always kind of what I thought is maybe that 40s-ish time frame. Just to visit. Just to Just visit. see what's going on. Yeah. But, you know, what caught my attention in thinking about this episode and what we're going to be talking about tonight is I kind of would not mind being around, like, in the 1700s or 1800s, again, if I'm just visiting, just to kind of see how energy use sort of took off and mm-hmm. how how the Industrial Revolution kind of kicked things off and when electricity started to be supplied to people, because I just cannot fathom what that change must have been like. You know, I mean, in my lifetime, I've seen the internet take off and the just this little mini computer that we all carry around in our pockets 15 years ago didn't exist right like Like, (laughs) it's it's just so I don't know I just the 
because of all of the things that we now have because of the generation of electricity and all of that I don't know I just think it would be very interesting to be a fly on the wall in that sort of time frame which is a very broad and uh you know occurred over many many years but just in that kind of span of time would be interesting to me so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to just briefly kind of go over history of energy use and different types of energy and a little bit about where our energy comes from today. So stick around for a discussion on that. Right, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another week, another discussion here. We are going to be talking about energy. And this was a requested topic. This was one of the things that was requested when we asked for your feedback around our year anniversary. But this has also been something that both Casey and I have wanted to talk about. Really, from almost the very beginning of the podcast, we had thrown this out as a topic idea and really I don't want to say series because we're not going to do this like part one part two part three but we are going to be doing several episodes over the course of this next year just sort of as we feel like it as we have time to research it we are going to be sort of profiling different types of energy so tonight is going to be more the basics just kind of an overview. We're not going to dive into the pros and cons of different types of energy because we'll cover all of those types of things on their own uh, individual episodes, but we're excited to get things going. So we're going to talk about what types of energy are out there, what we're currently using, and the quick history of energy use. And this is kind of funny to me. First of all, I thought this was going to be really easy. I thought I was going to be able to just sort of look up a history of energy use and find <laughs> like a timeline that I could copy and paste. It was not like that. So I've just cobbled together a few things here. But I do also have to say that in my brain, like I said, I'm used to what we have now. I'm used to be able to clicking the switch on the wall and then I have lights or whatever. And I think of fossil fuels as having been the major source of energy forever and ever and renewables as being this new and developing thing, which it sort of is where we are now in terms of a grand scheme of production. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, So to be able to produce energy to distribute, but really those renewable energy sources, I mean, the sun has been around for uh, as long as we have, longer than we have. So, uh, you know, you can go way back in time and find evidence of people using the sun to light fires or even kind of structuring their dwellings or certain rooms within their dwellings to uh, as like sunrooms, basically. So just kind of being heated passively from the sun. So you could consider that maybe renewable uh, energy use in a way. Yeah. I, I was going to say like, also it's important to think from like a nature standpoint that the sun is the energy mm-hmm. <laughs> that like, that's the plants that grew, took the energy from the sun. They died, they became fossils, then they became whatever coal. And then we burn right. them. It's still sun energy 
from the beginning, yes. it's just has different byproducts now. So, and animals actually use it too. So animals will use it in different ways. You can think of snakes basking, um, and lemurs will like do this little yoga pose to get the little bellies warmed up. And this impacts things like their metabolism. So like energy use, isn't just unique to humans. It's just, we use it then as a tool to move yes. forward as well. And that kind of tool use of energy is what we're, we're mostly focusing yeah. on, but yeah, that's a, it is a great point. And really the sun is the basis for all of it. If you want to trace that energy back, um, and going back though, as far as like 2000 BC, and this was amazing to me as well. Coal was burned for cooking and heating in China as far back as 2000 BC. Going back to like, I who lit it, these rocks on fire. Right? I'm just fascinated. <laughs> I'm always curious about things like that. Like, who was the first person who ate XYZ? <laughs> right. And my brain just doesn't function like that. So it is any type of discovery or anything like that is always, I'm just like, how do people come up with this stuff? And it's like uh, this next one as well. And I, you, I can find differing dates on this, but anywhere from uh, 200 to 100 BC, natural gas was used in China. And they found from one timeline, they said that China exploits natural gas given off during deep drilling for brine, transporting the gas through bamboo pipelines to furnaces. What? In what 100 the, BC. What? Oh, okay. So People. I also think about this is that like, I feel like we have two views of like BC times. Either we think like stone age or like Rome, like so many things were happening at that time that were crazy advanced, but also in other parts of the world, like maybe just at a completely different point in technology use. It's just kind of crazy. Yeah. Also we haven't talked about, but like wood, obviously. Yes. Yeah. Wood, like we've burned wood for a long time to also heat and do things like that. But I just wanted to bring it up because I'm sure yeah, I, yeah, I skipped right over it, but yeah, there, I, I was reading that there was evidence for regular use of fire, uh, at around 400,000 years ago, <laughs> 300 to 400,000 years ago, this, depending on, on the sources. But so yes, definitely burning wood for heat uh, has been around for a long time as well. To your point, Casey, about different things happening in different parts of the world at different times, that was also a challenge for this. Like I, I wanted to make this more of a global discussion and I tried to include that on this timeline here, but it is really sort of difficult to, to, to kind of piece together all of the different things going on in all of the different parts of, of the world. Uh, so yeah, we've reinvented things multiple times. Right. <laughs> so, so I didn't, this is again, just a quick sort of overview. This yeah. isn't a super detailed timeline. And similarly, when we get to more talking about electricity later on in this episode, that is going to be largely United States and a little bit North America based. So apologies again, we are so thankful for our, our listeners all over the place. And we always love to hear from you. Uh, it is a little bit of a challenge to incorporate all of that type of data when we're talking about things uh, like this. But, but so yeah, that was an interesting thing in, in trying to read and, and research about this. But, but man, China, China was on it in the, the beginning with figuring out these energy sources. Uh, because China, again, oh, well, I don't want to skip over around 200 BC, uh, the water wheel was invented in Europe. First century AD, China was the first to refine petroleum. 
I'm going to be honest. I don't even really know what that means. I don't either. (laughs) And I didn't uh, go too deep into it with this episode because we'll talk about it when we talk about our fossil fuels. But uh, in the 10th century, windmills was invented in Persia. And then skipping all the way ahead to the 1700s. And that is when you'll typically hear about the start of the Industrial Revolution in the 1700s. In particular, 1712, the invention of the coal-powered steam engine, which was used to... It did change everything, but this steam engine was invented first to power a pump at a coal mine... And it's powered by coal. So we're using this machine to get more of the coal, which then powers the machine. It's a cycle. I feel like this should have set alarm bells off in somebody's <laughs> head like right then to realize that this, this is probably going to become a problem in the future. If mm, I need yeah. more of this stuff to power this thing that I need to get more of this stuff. I don't know. I don't know. I think that those coal miners were like, oh, thank goodness I don't have to work that pump. <laughs> no, for sure. And then that is, I mean, again, it did, it did change everything. So it was doing this work that previously had to be done basically by muscle, by, by manual labor. And that is an incredible thing. So that kind of kicked off this industrial revolution, which, which did change everything and really kicked off our ability to mass produce power for people to use. And then we hit the 1800s in the 1850s. The first commercial oil well was developed apparently in Titusville, Pennsylvania. Do you know where Titusville is? I don't. I was about to be like, what a PA. And then I was (laughs) like, wait, it's an oil well. So maybe. Well, but again, like in the 1850s, these are, I, you know, we, we can talk about, we will talk about fossil fuels from an environmental standpoint, but I think again, like I said, I'm very thankful for stand, all of our yeah. modern conveniences. All right. I, I stand by my what a PA. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <All> right. Right. <laughs> uh, 1882, the first coal-fired power station that was developed in London. In 1911, the first geothermal electrical power station in Italy. We'll talk about what geothermal is uh, later on, if you're not familiar. In 1954, a nuclear reactor provides electricity to a grid for the first time in Russia. Again, like nuclear energy is another thing that just, how? I'm a little sad that we used nuclear for bad before we used it for good. (laughs) Well, there is that. And then in 1980, so going all the way up to 1980, according to what I found, again, these were were just sort of quick timeline things. Uh, I'll I'll link to the sources in our notes, but that was the first wind farm in in New Hampshire was not until 1980. So going back to kind of what I was saying at the beginning is I, you you think of fossil fuels now as being the standard and these renewables as being the new. And that is true in terms of that mass production. But you can go all the way back to when did we say the 10th century is when windmills became a thing. And now not till 1980 do we have the first wind farm. So it's just kind of interesting. But that is, is a very quick timeline of energy use and some of the developments and firsts of different types of energy. Now we're going to talk a little bit about how 
we use that energy. And a lot of this data came from the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine website. So thanks to them. Uh, and their data was they were that they were showing was from uh, 2015. And this is, like I said, this is going to be more United States focused here. But according to them, about 32% of the energy that we produce is going to go to the industrial sector. So those are things like factories, refineries, manufacturing. They take up about 32% of our energy. About 28% of our energy consumption is transportation, and that includes everything from our own personal vehicles up to things like planes and trains, shipping, freights, and all of that kind of stuff is included in the transportation sector. And then about 40% of our and energy consumption is residential and commercial. So this is, of course, our homes, as well as things like offices, stores, schools, hospitals, hotels, all of that fun stuff. That's about 40% of our energy consumption. And so that's the kind of stuff that we most commonly probably think about when we think about our energy use. This is like heating our houses, running our appliances, all of that type of thing. Uh, Casey, do you have any guesses? And we might have talked about this before too, but any guesses on what consumes the bulk of the energy in the residential sector? What are we what are we using our energy for? Uh, I'm guessing that like heating and cooling has to be a big part of it, at least yeah. in certain parts of the country. Like I assume where you're at, there's a decent amount of your energy that's dedicated to air conditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I know that refrigerators suck up a lot of energy. Um, am I wrong? <laughs> no, you're not wrong. I think as far as appliances go, they are a large one, but in terms of the overall okay. energy uses, refrigerators are, are, according to this graph, which again is, is U.S. based and from 2015, is only about 6% of the total. But yeah, it is that oh. heating and cooling. Um, yeah. that is, I mean, that is like the fifth highest, I think, on this list. It is the, the highest appliance, individual appliances cited on this chart but yeah definitely the heating and cooling and then the heating of water as well yeah we talked about that in our slackers guide I think that Mm -hmm. like it takes more energy to heat up the water in your washing machine than it does to do the spinny part run it yeah which is wild yeah it is wash on cold guys wash on cold that's right previous challenge uh but yeah space heating is a a little over 27 percent Space cooling is a little over 11% and water heating is about 13% of the total. They do also have this obnoxious section of other that's at 20%. And I'm like, what? Too much. <laughs> what is that? If it's 20%, you got to tell me what is included in others. Is that like our cell phone chargers or what, what is happening here? Yeah. Yeah. It is like, yeah. Can't we break that down further? Yeah. Like clearly we're using something going on there, but okay. I probably could have found another source, but this, this was, That's this what was what I got. Already, yeah. uh, but so those were the big three, uh, lighting was the next one. And for some reason, lighting was about 7%. And for some reason that was surprising to me. And I guess that probably in part has to do with how much more efficient lighting has mm-hmm. gotten, but I just feel like I, use lights all the time. And I mean, I'll skip showers for a day. If it's nice weather out, I will turn off my heating and air conditioning. I just feel like I was surprised that lighting was so much less 
but I guess that's just me not fully grasping how much energy it takes to run these other things. Yeah. Sorry, clarify for me. Are you surprised that it it doesn't take up very much stuff? I am surprised that it's not a higher percentage. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because I just feel like I use it. That's the one thing that I just use mm. all the time are my lights. But I guess that it's just because they're we're very smaller, efficient now. Sm- yeah, and they're a smaller thing. But then yeah, refrigerators and freezers was next after lighting, and then clothes, washers, dryers, and dishwashers. Television came in at four percent, uh, and cooking at two point seven, and computers at one point six percent. So that's kind of a summary of how we're using that data in our residential areas, and a lot of things have probably changed that profile over time too. I mean, I joke about the cell phone chargers, but we did see a boom in electronics and the use of electronics and the dependence on electronics for things in the late 90s and early 2000s. But also, Casey, we've talked before about how regulations on things do make a difference. And this this is the same. This is from that same uh, website of the National Academies of Science and Engineering Medicine that they said, just as an example, in the 30 years from 1972 to 2001, the average electricity use of new refrigerators sold in the United States declined by 70%. And that's just an example of what impact increased regulations can have. If we choose to prioritize something, we can make it happen. Yeah. It's, I also like speaking to your point about the electronics. One of the things I think we covered in the future of cars is that just because things become more efficient actually doesn't necessarily mean that they're impact is entirely lowered because when things become more efficient or cheaper, they become more widespread. Mm-hmm. Right. So now it's like, well, everyone back then had a TV and their light bulbs were incontestant and sucked up all this energy. It's like, well, yeah, we've reduced our percentage of lighting, but now you're also charging your cell phone, your laptop, right. your, your Nintendo switch, your, your PlayStation, <laughs> all of these things are plugged in half the time. And so we're still adding in, in things as our technology improves, it doesn't necessarily inherently mean that things are going to get better. And like, again, there are very few um, incentives for corporations to do something that like, I don't know, doesn't help the consumer unless there's consumer demand for it, but much quicker is government regulation Mm -hmm. (laughs) asking them to improve their uh, efficiency. Absolutely. Okay. So all of that is just kind of a profile of where our energy is going to. And I want to note too, that when I talked about those kind of sectors, residential, commercial, industrial, those that's, we're talking about end use sectors there. Really Mm -hmm. what a lot of our energy that is produced goes to first is electricity. So if you think about what powers my home, most people would say, well, electricity, I have electricity to run my lights and my appliances and all of that. But electricity is a a secondary energy source. And that electricity has to come from somewhere. And it is coming likely from a variety of energy sources, which is what we're going to talk about next. So what are those energy sources. So I've, I've got them lumped into some categories here. And first is the one that we're the most dependent on right now, which is those fossil fuels. You hear it a lot. They're called fossil fuels because they come from the fossilized remains of plants and animals. 
developed over millions and millions of years, uh, which is why they are considered to be a non-renewable resource. We cannot reform them <laughs> fast enough for how we're using them. So they're a non-renewable resource. And, and normally this is why when we're talking about climate change, we're talking about the anthropogenic mm -hmm. part of climate change. Those wouldn't be released through natural processes at the rate that we're currently doing them. So it's not just like they're fossils and non-renewable. They'll go away if we use too many of them. Yes, that is a problem, but also- But it's not the main problem. The correct. main problem is the byproduct <laughs> that is coming from these non-renewable energy sources. Yeah. And the intensity that we need to use to uh, get them. So like, oh, if we have to open up more of these wells or mines, what are the environmental impacts of doing those versus yeah. some of those renewables? So just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, absolutely. And again, we'll go more in depth on this when we do our specific episode on fossil fuels, which maybe we might even break up into individual components. I think uh, probably. Yeah, there, there are multiple fossil fuels. The three major ones that we talk about are coal, crude oil, usually just referred to as oil. Sometimes people will say petroleum, which I yeah. think might actually be a different step like in the refine, refining of crude oil to produce petroleum, whatever. Coal, crude oil, and natural gas being the third one. And then there is nuclear power. Nuclear power is energy released from breaking the bonds within a nucleus, nucleus, of an atom. That's got to be like one of the most mispronounced words. I think nuclear is one of the most nuclear. Yeah, like, yeah probably. Is one of the most uh, uh, yeah, mispronounced. Even when you're looking at it. Um, <laughs> in the nucleus of an atom, which just blows my mind. Yeah. I was going to make like a sound, but like, yeah. well, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that I, I, I mean, people are way smarter than me, like way that's, smarter. That's the only, I don't know. Just I, way more I, outside of the box thinking, creative, like, science. to yeah. even <laughs> understand that this would be possible, but this is nuclear fission is the process that we use to do this. And it releases a lot of energy. I live near a nuclear power plant. Do like, I don't know. Yeah. Like the towers are like very, very close to us. And so when we do that episode, I've got lots of personal <laughs> experience to tell you about. I'm excited to learn more about that. It's, it's not something that I know a lot about, but just the fact that it exists is incredible to me. And then we have our renewable sources, which are the wind, water, and solar. Have you ever, do you have any wind farms near you or have you ever been around? Wind farms. Um, so to, when you drive up to Northern Indiana, you pass mm -hmm. through a lot of wind farms. Yep. And number two, when I went to school in Northern Ireland for a semester, our campus had one singular wind time oh, turbine, cool. which was cool. Cause like, I've never been that close to yeah. one and they are so big and you can hear the like, <laughs> yeah, cool. yeah, you, you can hear. So uh, that's driving in through Northern Indiana, like driving from my mom's house up to my grandparents' house in Illinois, I would drive through wind farms and driving through that wind farm at night. It's cre it is otherworldly because they it have all these like lights aliens. flashing. Yeah. It really looks like aliens. It's, I don't know, it's slightly creepy and disturbing, but also just very, I don't know, there's something there's something about it. It's a very interesting experience. Yeah, it's interesting. The other things Pennsylvania are known for too, is like fracking and coal. So sure. lots of those experiences too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we've got wind, water, 
and solar as the, the main three renewable resources that you'll hear about. There's also geothermal, which is another thing that I don't know a whole lot about, but this does also involve drilling of wells to access reservoirs of, of steam and very hot water within the earth that can be used to produce energy. And then there is also biomass, uh, which is converting plant and animal material. So this could be anything from, I mean, wood could be considered biomass, agricultural waste, other, other plant waste, manure and sewage. We talked a little bit about that. Uh, gosh, I don't even remember if that was our water episode or when we talked about that. Maybe our food waste episode even uh, that we yeah. talked about that, but that could all be biomass. Usually this is done through burning. Apparently there are some other processes that can be used as well, um, but usually this is uh, burning things to produce the steam to produce the energy. And circling back to what we were talking about in the first part, biomass is like a little bit controversial as yes. far as being a quote unquote renewable resource, because it does take time to uh, replace, for example, trees but also that the byproducts produced during the process. Correct. Yeah. Again. It's, it's controversial both for whether it's renewable and whether it's beneficial or not, like whether it should even do yeah. something that we're, we're doing. So yeah, again, I'm excited to, to dive deeper yeah. on all of these little spoilers. Some countries like to be like, we have X percent renewable because of biomass. It's like you chop down your forests. That doesn't count as like, you no pats on the back for you. So yeah, we'll talk more about yep. that. So with those kind of being the, the sources, if we look at the U.S. energy consumption by source is how they have it defined. This is from the U.S. Energy Information Administration, or EIA. Uh, we can see that we are very, very dependent on those fossil fuels. I think if you add up the petroleum on this graph, which again, we'll, we'll have in the notes for you, but uh, petroleum, natural gas, and coal, I believe is 79% uh, on, on this graph here. We that have nuclear at about 9% and renewable energy coming in at about 12%. And they have a little bit of a breakdown of that actually a lot uh, from biomass um, and then wind and hydroelectric being the other two on there. So I wanted to talk about this real quick. I know we're already going a little bit long here tonight, but I think, you know, a lot, sometimes it's easy to know if we're driving our cars, we know that that is fossil fuel that we're burning in our, our combustible engines here. But like I said, when you flip on a switch at your house, where is that electricity coming from? What is the source of electricity for your house? Casey, I don't, do you know, like how much, how much do you know about the electricity in your area and how that's generated? I genuinely don't know how yeah. much for our particular area. Like I said, we have a nuclear power plant, like just down the road. So I don't know if it's like our whole area is mostly done that. But I remember when I lived in Indiana, we had like subscribed to a green energy program there, but looking at their table, like 92% of Indiana's energy came straight up from coal and there's not even like coal in Indiana. So, um, maybe there is, but not I at think the levels is, you think. Yeah. yeah. Not not in like the Appalachian area, yeah. like it, it is on the East coast. So I know it's not solar. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it is interesting because it, it can really be hard to know. Like I looked at my utility bill. I looked at my utility company's website and there's not a lot of info there, but one of my favorite things that I came across while working on this episode was the emissions and generation resource integrated database 
aka the e-grid. And I feel like this is a great kind of source to get started. And I had to like understand a little bit about electricity and how it's produced to sort of grasp what was going on here. Uh, But apparently in the United States, in the lower 48 states, we have three main sections of our power grid. So, right, we get energy from these different sources that we just talked about um, from these power plants. They are basically processed and then converted into energy and transported along these wires that are, you know, that then go to the different areas and all of that. So that's our kind of our power grid that has these three main sections. So we have the Eastern interconnection, which is area east of the Rocky Mountains and a little bit of Texas. And we have the Western section that is west of the Rockies, basically. Uh, And then Texas, basically the main part of Texas has its own section of the grid there of course they do special texas (laughs) uh i lived in texas for a year and we love texas so that's kind of how how it's divided this e-grid has broken it down into sub-regions that you can find sort of info on for your sub-region so i took this from the e-grid technical guide and i'm just gonna read it because so I will mess it up if I try to say it. So they have these e-grid sub-regions that were uh, defined by the EPA, and they are kind of a compromise between those three big regions that I just mentioned and uh, what they're calling balancing authorities, which I didn't get too much into that. But apparently they said that these are too small. This would not be helpful um, for the data that we're trying to generate or maybe wouldn't be possible. Um, so... Using that as a guide, these subregions were defined to limit the import and export of electricity in order to establish an aggregated area where the determined emission rates most accurately match the generation and emissions from the plants within that subregion. So basically, they've tried to define these regions as best as they can um, to give you an average to show you what is being used to generate electricity in that area and how much emissions are produced from that kind of composition of materials. I hope that made sense. We will give you the link to check this out for yourself um, so that you can see. But basically this is gonna give you an idea. It's not gonna show you exactly what the composition of electricity is coming from for your particular house, but it's gonna give you a general idea of the sources for the electricity in your area. And I think that's a fantastic place to start. So Casey, did you do it? If you go down to the bottom of the outline there, click on that. I'm trying. (laughs) EPA.gov link if you can. I jumped ahead. Power profiler. Yeah, the power profiler. And then you can put in your zip code there. Wait, no way. Okay, let's do it. And it should tell you once you enter your zip code, it should tell you. So like I'm in the FRCC. Oh, here we go. I am in the RFCE. All right. Let's take a look here. Okay. And then, so it should tell you kind of what the emissions rates. So carbon dioxide, uh, it's got like nitrous oxide and stuff in there as well. But then if you scroll down a little bit, it shows you your fuel mix for that area compared to the national average. So it actually show you what percentage of your electricity generation comes from gas, coal, nuclear, renewable resources. It breaks it all down. Yeah. You. If it's to give you guys an idea of what my region is, it's kind of like 
most of Pennsylvania, Jersey, Delaware, and most of Maryland. And we do get 36.3% of our fuel mix from nuclear energy, which is much higher than wow. the average. Yeah. Yeah. Again, right down the street. Um, but we also get 50% from gas. So, um, so that's actually a smaller amount from coal than normally. And those are the top three is it, it's gas is the biggest nuclear is the next biggest and then coal. And then everything else is really tiny, like 1%. Yeah, for me, I'm in the, the FRCC, which is most of Florida and gas is by far the biggest for us. 75.3% coal is only 6.6. Uh, nuclear is a little over 12%. Those are the biggest. Solar is tiny. Solar, for yeah, me Sunshine is only State. What's two, that about? I, yeah, I'm surprised that it's only 2.5 percent, which is barely higher than the national average. So I thought that this was fantastic. Again, don't so cool. be deceived into thinking that this is exactly what is coming into your home, uh, but I think it's a good place to start. And it, I could, you could go down a lot of rabbit holes playing around on that site too. So, uh, I thought that was really cool. The other thing that you were looking at Casey is this energy mapping system, which is also sort of mind blowing. There's yeah. a lot. Yeah. You have to kind of go through and uncheck things, but it is basically showing you the infrastructure that goes into all of these different things. And it has, I mean, I think it has, wind farms and solar farms on there as well as pipelines and power line like it has there's so much information on there I've only just started messing around with that but yeah that's I think that was the biggest thing for me was it was just eye-opening how much infrastructure we have set up for these energy sources yeah like to give you an idea in my hometown of Pottstown Pennsylvania there is a petroleum plant there which I had no idea and then just down the road is the nuclear plant. And then in my current town of Phoenixville, there's actually a solar plant, which I didn't know. So, um, and I assume many more of these little solar things will be popping up because that's kind of a growing industry. Yeah. So that's it, Casey. I feel like that was just a lot of stuff thrown out there, but I don't know. Hopefully that it was in some way impactful or gets folks thinking. And really, this is just, again, this is a primer. This is setting us up for a deeper dive into these different energy sources, how they work, pros and cons, all of that type of thing coming in future episodes. No, I, I found this very useful. I think that I learned a lot during this, but I also think it's important to really a lot of times when we have these conversations with each other, we come in with different definitions and different mm-hmm. assumptions about these technologies that most of us actually don't interact with on a meaningful level. Like all, obviously all of us get our electricity from somewhere, but like the actual science behind and mechanics behind and logistics behind how each of these is produced is so um, intricate that I don't think, yeah, like no one's an expert in, (laughs) um, I should say there are very few experts in all of them. Obviously there are experts in some of them, but I do think that this is important to start to kind of set those, those guidelines of like these renewables are old and new mm-hmm. and the difference is scale and efficiency and, uh, what we're powering and how we're using it. And like, I had no idea about the different grids. I did know Texas had their own. Cause that was the whole thing when they froze. It was yeah. like, Ooh, 
Um, something happened there specifically in Texas, but I mean, that's some of the things that we'll, we can talk about the choices that, for example, Texas made that maybe made their system vulnerable versus choices that other states make that made their systems vulnerable. Um, cause moving forward, energy is going to be a huge part of not only, um, our lives, obviously, but also lots of policy debates as we try and mm-hmm. figure out how to better prepare our planet for the future and, and make it compatible with, uh, with nice living conditions. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I really appreciate you doing this, Sarah. I learned so much and I wouldn't have had the patience for everything that you went down. Absolutely. Oh, I only wish that I had more time because <laughs> again, there are so many rabbit holes and don't worry when we come back to wrap up, I will give you some challenges to let you start going down rabbit holes of your own. So stick around for that. All right. Welcome back, everybody. We are wrapping up our discussion on energy 101 and your challenges you could probably guess they're going to be very simple we're going to provide you with the link to the egrid resource that casey and i were looking at but i want you to try to find out as much as you can where your energy comes from do check with your utility company i do feel like some are that you're able to get a little more detailed information on it may be right on your utility bill, or maybe if you look at your utility company website, see what they say, you might also find some information about different uh, programs that they offer. Casey mentioned the green power option that we had back in Indiana. I know that I've got a couple of options down here in Florida to support solar energy. Uh, I'm not going to talk too much about that yet because that again will probably come with these individual episodes Uh, but for right now just see what you can learn about where your energy comes from so check your utility companies but then we will have the link for this website for you to at least see within your e-grid region how your electricity is being produced and you might also I didn't even mention this but in residential homes you might also be getting power directly from natural gas I know that my house here Uh, I do have natural gas as well, Um, whereas my previous house was all electricity. um, I do have some direct natural gas as well as gas being used (laughs) to generate my electricity. So, uh, but see what you can find out about how your home is powered. And then we'll also give you the link to check out this energy mapping system. So you also can be blown away by the setup that it takes to produce and distribute all of this energy to all of us. That's what I got. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you um, again for doing the episode this week as I navigate houses and taxes and all of the things that make being grown up oh, frustrating. So, fun. so, <laughs> so fun. I really appreciate you doing all this work and I definitely learned a lot and can't wait to, I guess, go drive up to our nuclear power plant and shoot some videos <laughs> there or something. That'll go well, right? <laughs> So yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing from everybody about where you get your energy from. And maybe you're someone who like produces your own energy with a solar grid on your house. Like Mm -hmm. we want to hear about that. We want to hear about what energies you guys want us to cover first, because there's lots of them. We should set up a poll. 
we'll set up a poll. <laughs> yes. Agreed. We're going to set up a poll and we'll, we'll cover them. It might not be in that order. Sorry guys. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes in, I don't want to lock us in. Right. But we do want to know. Yes, that is true. Yeah. Inspiration strikes, but we do want to know what you're in, most interested in. Cause that can help influence, but yeah, we are often very sort of spur of the moment. We'll text each other and be like, Hey, this is what I'm going to do this week. So, uh, but yeah, we would love to know what you want to know more about and in which one you're most excited to hear about, uh, Casey, thanks for your discussion. Thanks always for your perspective. Love it. Um, folks, if you do want to reach out to us and let us know what you want to hear about, or let us know what kind of energy you're using. Uh, you can find us on social media. We are on Facebook. We are at a little, a little greener podcast. We're on Instagram at a little greener pod. We're on Twitter at a greener podcast or at a greener pod. A I greener pod, I think. I can't, what's one of those two? You'll see our logo. Uh, and you can email us at a little greener podcast at gmail.com. Murray's, Murray's saying, having so much fun. <laughs> Murray's saying, hurry up and finish. <laughs> I think yeah, I said them all. Sure. That was it. I think you yeah. did. Tell us what you think, what's going on. Don't forget to subscribe and rate and do all those things because that helps us out a lot. And also respond to our poll when we put it up eventually <laughs> about what kind of energy you want to hear about. Um, because once you get into the specifics, it does get easier to research. Yes, true. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. Okay. Well, that's all we got guys. Thanks for listening. We hope you have a safe week. 